The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hey, y'all. It's Leah. Just a quick message before we get to today's episode. I've loved seeing all of your messages and reviews about the show. We have a lot of new members of the In the Arena community, and it's partially thanks to your wonderful feedback. If you haven't contributed yet, now's the perfect time. Leave us a rating or review on Apple or Spotify. I would so appreciate your help in growing our show and appreciate you listening today. Thanks. What keeps you from having the types of relationships that you desire? Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Okay, so today I'm talking to Sean Harvey. He has a master's of organizational development, a master's in counseling. He's an ordained interfaith minister, and he's founded a company called Warrior Compassion, which is dedicated to helping men step into their authentic selves. Side note, I love when people sit at the intersection of science and spirituality. I think better solutions can come when we hold what we know lightly enough to stay open to mystery. So Sean is focused on a topic that we don't talk about much— helping men create more of the relationships that they want. And for him, that starts with unpacking the facade of how our society expects men to feel, think, and act. Now, if you're thinking this is getting a little bit woo-woo, consider the early or recent messages that you saw and heard in the media, in your family, your community, from public figures, with toys, about how men should be. I think of words like strong, powerful, unwavering, and even enraged as expected, while gentle, kind, loving, and open felt unacceptable because it wasn't quote-unquote masculine enough. Okay, here's a concrete and subtle example. So recently I finished watching season two of Bridgerton. It took me like 10 minutes. And I had to go back to start season one to get a little bit more. And there's this scene where a character has just realized that her husband has put their entire family into total financial ruin. And when she outs him, he starts uncontrollably crying. At the same time, there's this goofy music that starts playing in the background that's essentially telling the audience, you are supposed to laugh at the fact that this man is crying. Now, I know this seems so small, but think about how much this happens throughout our culture and its impact on men and boys. Depending on where you are in understanding this or unpacking it, you might be nodding, but you might be scoffing. I just encourage you either way to consider that just like women, men have emotions, but that men have been discouraged from exploring and expressing a lot of them. So what happens when we change this? Well, here's Sean. In the work I've done with men and the men who are my peers that are doing men's work, Every one of us are talking about teaching, you know, how to be in relationship, how to collaborate, how to be in community. And pretty much all of us struggle with it. It's even more in- incumbent on us to, to be real about like the ways we struggle in community as much as we preach community. It's the thing that that's so nuanced is men, we've not been socialized to socialize in healthy ways. And every time I think I know what this work is about, it still always comes back to relationship and community and connection. 
So as much as we talk about compassion, as much as we talk about consciousness, um, I think the real opportunity for men is how do we relate to others? How do we relate to each other? And how do we relate to ourselves? You said healthy. What does that actually mean? I don't think there's a definition for healthy. I think that's what we delude ourselves with. Healthy looks like this. Mm-hmm. Now, I think healthy is really a reflection of have we looked at the wounds within ourselves from our own journey? And have we taken the steps to heal? And then as we heal, we get healthier. I don't think we're ever healthy. I don't think we're ever healed. I think this is a lifelong journey that reveals itself as we continue to do our work. I totally resonate with that. And I think there was a point where, you know, it's it's so typical, like American culture to feel like you just set the goal and you go get the thing and then you're done with the thing. Right. So I remember when I first started my own healing journey, I was like, OK, great. So I have, you know, this, this, this and this to work on. I will take care of these things in like set amount of time and then I'll be done. And, you know, the nightmare for me was actually thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to go on forever. What do you make of people who feel reticent to heal or or what's going on, do you think, for them that creates that challenge? What I think when I think of this question is, what am I about to open up? Because there's a mystery to it, there's an unknown to it. We're conditioned typically to take a masculine approach to dealing with this stuff, which is we want to fix the problem. So much of our orientation is what's the problem and how do we fix it and what's the answer? The feminine approach is how do we heal the wounds? And so to heal a wound requires us to go into the discomfort. So one, it's the reticence to to be uncomfortable. Two, I think it's the fear of losing control. Three, what happens if I do go down this path? As much as we can talk about community, oftentimes we're shouldering it alone, especially men. One of the things that came out in my interviews with so many men who've done healing work on themselves is this awareness of the fear men have of other men to be vulnerable in front of each other. It's often perceived then as weakness. So the conditioning tells us we can't be weak. So we can't be vulnerable, so we can't express what's really going on, and we can't feel the feelings. And so I think some of this is getting from, this is my problem, to being in community to say, oh, I'm not the only one. And then to say, and what, what did you do? What's working for you? And then we start to learn some new ways of dealing with our stuff. So I want to go back. You said fixing the problem is masculine and that healing the wounds is feminine. How do you know something's masculine or feminine? Like, what does that mean? So first, there's the biology that we were born into. Then there's the gender identity and expression that we live into. Then I see it as the next level is the constructs of masculinity and femininity. This thing that's outside of ourselves that many of us have internalized. And so we get these messages of, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman. It's still very much in the binary, right? But that's the thing outside of ourselves. I think what's inside of us is each of us has these energies, masculine energy, feminine energy. If we take it out of binary language, the yin and the yang, head and heart, active, receptive. And I think what happens is 
from our internalized conditioning, we often create an energetic imbalance where we're either giving preference to, to one energy versus the other. We're developing in one energy versus the other. I don't use the language toxic masculinity. I don't talk about healthy masculinity, unhealthy masculinity. Get out of the, the dualistic thinking of a good, bad, right, wrong. I don't think that helps us. But to say, what's the cost of not developing the other energy within us that can make us more balanced, more whole? And really what it does is the more balanced we become, the more agility we have to respond to what's happening in the world. And I believe that often, especially for men, when we're not living up to the ideal that we've set how we're supposed to be, that's where shame can live. That's where shadow can live. I think the healing work is releasing from the shoulds, questioning the shoulds, and coming into an acceptance of the what is. What do I like? What do I desire? What do I prefer? And when the expectations, the shoulds, the, the messages of what things need to look like relax, this is where we can start to relax into ourselves and start to accept who we are, the truth of who we are, in our wholeness, in our fullness, in our edges, in the ways where we can continue to grow, heal, and evolve. That's really the whole premise of warrior compassion. When we tap into that energy, we're giving ourselves self-compassion, self-love to come into that place of acceptance. We learn to love who we are. Then we're able to start expressing more love for others and more love into the world. First of all, I love this idea of shoulding, right? So like I had that phrase, you can should all over yourself. We all should all over ourselves. But I love that you relate it to like when I'm saying should, I've probably bought into something versus chosen something. So you talked about earlier this box, like people can be afraid to open Pandora's box when they're, you know, coming to this healing point. What's in the box, you know, beyond the discomfort and the uncertainty and the loss of control they know they might experience? Like, what have you found in there? The first thing that comes to mind is feelings, our emotions. When we're not used to experiencing our emotions, they can be very uncomfortable, very foreign, and really scary. Where anxiety lives, where fear lives, where anger lives, the messages we have about how we can express anger, wherever we have this is bad or this is wrong, when we're feeling those feelings, that can move us into discomfort, wronging ourselves, minimizing ourselves, minimizing the emotions, or going to a place of shame. And so I think the first thing is the emotions. I think the second thing is starting to feel into the places we have shame. How do you define shame? I see shame as, if I can be so bold, I, I feel like shit which is the feeling. The shame is I am shit. So when I claim an all or nothing proposition for who I am, that takes me to that place of smallness, of invisibility, of wrong, so many boys are going to grapple with, am I man enough? Am I a girl? Am I a fat? And it's often what I call the trifecta of constriction. It's, it's often the ways that it defines our behaviors. That comparison 
that we often have with other other boys, other men. I think that's where a lot of the fear comes in. And I use that language um, as well as a gay man who has spoken to many men. Um, am I gay is one thing. Where the shame lives is in the other statement for so many of us. And so I use that language not to offend, but to speak to the to the gravity of how powerful these words can be and how much it can paralyze and mobilize or activate us into um, powerful defenses to protect the, the parts of ourselves that don't want to be associated in these ways because we want to live into the ways we think we're supposed to be. It sounds really fragile, too. Even as you're saying it, I'm sitting here going, wow, if that's the trifecta, that creates, you know, a pretty fragile experience where if you, you know, go out of line in one of those areas, immediately your ego, what you believe about yourself gets bruised. So think about when we question that. It's usually in our maybe late adolescent, early teen years, where we are really fragile. We are trying to fit in. We are trying to belong. What happens is, I think for so many of us, we hold on to that and we take it into our adult lives, but we haven't developed into it from our youth. And so it has a power that holds on to us in probably some very unconscious ways. And the ways it show up is, I can't show emotion. I can't express intimacy and deep connection with other men. And I think lastly, how I can create intimacy with myself. You know, how much am I really willing to look within and look at myself and look at the places that um, I don't want to look at to get real about the places where things aren't working. And then I think it's the intimacy we have in community. Where do I feel safe and where do I trust? And I think that's, uh, that's another dimension of it, you know, safety and trust. Psychological safety that I can express myself is one of the things that, that is critical. You know, I think there are kind of three sort of grounding principles before we even get to our wounding work and the, and the healing work. One is how do we create safety in the company of men? There's often father wounds. There's often competitive competition, comparison with other men. But I think when we can really feel not head-based competition, but heart-based compassion for each other creates a very different type of experience. The second principle is seeing the world with childlike wonder. We had everything we needed when we came out of the womb. We had curiosity, we had joy, we had passion, we had, we had creativity. We had the ability to see anyone else from a place of curiosity and, and love. And I think the conditioning we experience in our lives strips that down until we become who we are as adults and what we have access to and what we've denied or what we've, we've pushed away because of our shoulds. So when we can go back to seeing the world with childlike wonder, it's, it's going back to reclaiming all the parts of ourselves that we've lost touch with. Creativity is the doorway to our inner life. So if I ask you a question, you're going to think about the answer. And if I were to ask you to do a drawing of something that's speaking to you, 
you're going to be able to access more parts of yourself in a very unconscious way that will raise up consciousness. Well, and actually, as soon as you said that, I was I started smiling. I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. Like that actually sounds much more exciting to draw it, even if I'm a terrible artist. So it's not because I'm good. It's because there's something fun about it. Yeah. So the third is surrender into the mystery, surrender into the unknown. There's no roadmap for going forward, which means that we're really operating in the emergent. In order to operate in emergent spaces, and so that's where there's no clear definition, we have to surrender into an unknown to be able to flow with that, to be able to see what can come up. And the answers are going to come from, I think, a a, a deeper awareness. But what that really means, I think, in practical terms, is letting go of the need to control, relaxing the ego of how things should, and to move into a place of acceptance and curiosity and wonderment for what's showing up and tapping into what's coming from deep within me as opposed to how I think I should respond. We're going to take a quick break. While we're away, take a second to think about the men in your life who've carried even a few of these burdens. My guess is they could probably use your permission to talk a little bit more openly about their emotions. When we get back, Sean gets into why he believes this work is so crucial. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were FinTech developers. We'd been a FinTech developer. Uh, We'd been trying to build a FinTech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. We're back with my guest, Sean Harvey, leadership coach, interfaith minister, and founder of Warrior Compassion. Now, you all know me, so you know I am totally resonating with everything Sean is bringing to the table so far. We absolutely need community, We should be trying to reclaim that sense of childlike wonder. But I also want to know what he'd have to say to cynics who might say, well, I'm already successful enough or my life is good enough. Why should I do this stuff? Here's Sean. I've met a number of men in particular who follow the blueprint and have very successful lives. And yet something's missing or they're unfulfilled 
Or if you really ask someone, what is it that they most desire? Their life falls short of that desire. The other thing at play right now is how radically things are changing and evolving. And a lot of people are struggling to keep up. I think for men in particular, the narratives, the rules and the roles around manhood, masculinity, the talk of the elevated feminine, gender and power, these shifts, these evolving narratives are creating a lot of confusion for men. That confusion can be disorienting when you want to have a sense of control of your, of your understanding of the world. Then you add a global pandemic, the great resignation, all the things that are happening in society and in the workplace. And I think people are asking the questions, so what's happening? Is this what I want? I signed up for this. I played the game. Is this really giving me what I desire? And I think the question is, you know, not that, not that this is about the happiness of the quotient, but am I fulfilled? Do I have meaning? Am I able to be authentic? Am I able to make a contribution? These existential questions are coming up at this point in time. And the other part of it is a lot of things around us are starting to be dismantled. Systems are being dismantled. Constructs are being dismantled. We're challenging the notion of what we've believed in, what we've known. There's a recreation happening that um, requires us to tap into to a deeper knowing. And so I think there's a lot of movements that are in play that are bringing people into deeper consciousness, be it mindfulness, mm-hmm. be it yoga, be it embodied practice, be it somatic work, be it creativity in the arts, you know, as more people are seeking meaning, more and more people are becoming conscious. I think that's creating part of the wave that's preparing us to be able to support an emerging future of how we're evolving so that we're more conscious, compassionate, inclusive, and connected and breaking down the ways we're often operating as lone rangers or in silos and trying to do it alone. I think the roadmap for our future is realizing that We all have different parts of the puzzle. We might think we know what the puzzle is, but the puzzle comes together when we come together and we start to see what parts, what do you have versus what do I have and how do they fit together? The smallest thing I've noticed in the last few years, and I I say it's small, but it's actually not small. It may be small to me because I'm someone who's been in therapy for a number of years, but it's just people in my circle saying, hey, I'm thinking about getting a therapist. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's amazing. And what it nods to is the idea that, you know, this whole healing journey isn't super easy, right? Uh, what happens is, you know, my one of my old personal trainers just used to say, it doesn't get easier, you get stronger. And that's literally the easiest way to, to put it, right? In this journey, it doesn't get easier, you just get stronger. And what you're able to withstand and withhold becomes so much bigger. And the stronger you get, the more healed you become the less fragile you are in the sense of, you know, having some of these um, kind of wafy, egoic constructs about what it means to show up as someone who's masculine or man enough. So if I'm thinking about for men and women, leaders and families and communities, um, people who want to lead, what do we do? 
Where do we start? First and foremost is getting into community with those who are, are asking the questions. It's through others that we can actually have a mirror back of how we're showing up, where other ideas are coming through, and to challenge some of our thinking and our worldview. I think we're starting to see deeper levels of leadership development work. They really tap into more personal growth and enrichment that move us out of a superficiality of what leaders should be based on competencies and behaviors and going into the places that are going to ask us to look at vulnerability differently. That's one of the things I find in all of my work. I often do something called the river of life. And so it's that drawing exercise of, you know, if you were to draw your own river that reflects the highs and lows of your life, where are the rapids of disruption? Where is it calm? What has given you this sense of um, turbulence? Where are the offshoots where you have like gotten lost? You know, when you use this metaphor, I think then you can start to give meaning to your experience. What does it mean? So what were those experiences? And then to look at now, in what ways is that showing up in the ways I lead others? Mm-hmm. In what ways is that showing up in the ways I make decisions? What I love is in so much of the human-centered workplace design conversations, how do we create more human-centric cultures? When we really push up the, to the edges, we're hearing more of the love word in this work. The place we get tripped up is we assume everybody interprets love in the same way. So the first opportunity is, so what does love mean? And what does compassion mean? So, you know, I'm going to ask you this. What is love? As a minister, as an interfaith minister, (laughs) so many of the teachings talk about love. I believe it's the love that's channeled through us. When we talk about the light that we are sharing in the world, it's coming through us. You know, from a spiritual perspective, the interconnection that we have and the interdependency we have with each other, that we are one. The more we live in fear, anger, and hatred, the wounds that hold us back from actually expressing love. When I have care and compassion, I want the best for another person and I want the best for myself. You know, some of the work I do revolves around love, sex, and intimacy with men. And I often describe it as the intimacy that we desire, the love that we misunderstand, and the sex that we settle for. In a culture, especially in an American culture, of so many images that are over-sexualized, we're often objectifying ourselves and others in ways that bring us down to that, that variable. The opposite extreme of that is intimacy, where we can see the full humanity in someone else and in ourselves and respect that and love that. And I think for so many of us, if we were to ask that question around love, it's often misunderstood. Or it's, we love when it's convenient. The question is, how do we love when it's hard? Because the definition can be so slippery, Mm -hmm. and there are so many different ways to talk about love, how do I know when I'm giving pure love? What I've found is the more we heal, the more we feel it. That's my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. In my lifetime, 
as as someone who was bullied and harassed, someone who was sexually molested, someone who um, has lived most of my life as an outsider, looking in, not feeling welcomed in community. I was holding myself back from truly connecting out of fear and out of this feeling that I wasn't lovable or good enough to be invited in. And so the more I started to look at that, the more I started to heal that, and the more that I started to, even if I didn't feel it, like still express the love, the feelings for love started to grow. Mm -hmm. The community started to come. The connection started to get deeper. The invitation and the feeling of being welcome started to grow. I was able to be more vulnerable. I was able to then have other people be vulnerable with me and we started to see each other for who we were and accept each other for who we were. And when we are the Lone Ranger doing it on our own, we're not getting the feedback and we're not getting the love coming to us for us to be able to experience it. And I think mm-hmm. the love provides the light and the light provides the growth and the growth provides the healing. What I love about your work, Sean, is that you know, while community is a part of it, the basis is really going on that kind of inward journey so that you can understand what's happened to you, who you've become, and then who you actually really are and how you move towards that so that you can then impact others in a meaningful way and they can go out and impact others. There's this beautiful kind of ripple effect. So I I so appreciate that you are you know, starting with us all kind of looking in the mirror and and deciding to go on this journey towards healing. And, you know, I'd, I'd call out like this is, you know, it's a challenge for men and this is the work that you live in, but it's also a challenge for women. All of us have this. And so it's about how how all of us can use the tools that you've created to help us get there. You know, I, I get asked a lot, why are you just doing this work with men? Because it is a human conversation, right? We all experience this. So if I were to put out a mixed gendered experience for everyone, it would typically, what I've found is about 85% of the audience would be women. So I started going, okay, what is an experience that can be designed for men, for more men to come into their own personal growth work? And so this is, I think, the opportunity to create more experiences for men. But the idea is we don't stop there with work for men, work for women, those outside the binary. It's that how are we preparing ourselves to come into gender bridge building conversations so we can find new ways of relating to each other? I'm so glad that you touched on that um, because I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for women to do this and there's, there is a lot more permission. And what I have seen is men tap out of things like this because that's the norm, is that they can tap out and they're actually free of needing to do this kind of work because it's not masculine. I've got air quotes. It's not masculine. Um, All right. So I'm going to move us to three big answers. And Sean, I'm going to have you complete these three statements for me. Better humans are. On a healing journey, becoming integrated with full access to love. Better work is. Better work is meaningful, connected, where we change the definitions of success, we stop thinking in terms of ROI, and we start thinking about overall well-being. And a better world has. 
deeper consciousness, deeper compassion, and deeper connection, where all voices can raise up. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. That was Sean Harvey, founder and chief compassion officer at Warrior Compassion Studio. One big thing before we go, I felt like this was a deep episode, so I'm actually just going to let it marinate with you. But this Mental Health Awareness Month, let's all pay attention to how our beliefs about the way people should be is more about us and our comfort than about them and their health. If today's episode resonated with you, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential. Subscribe to my newsletter if you want more. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I'll see you next week.